0: This
1: is Pittsburgh Explainer from 90.5 WESA. Every week we help you catch up on the headlines from Southwestern Pennsylvania. It's Friday, April 2nd. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Liz Reed. Pittsburgh seems to be one of President Joe Biden's favorite places to visit. He kicked off his presidential bid in Lawrenceville and ended his campaign on the North side last fall. And this week he came back on his first trip here as president to announce an enormous infrastructure plan that was central to his campaign. WESA's Anli Herring covered the president's speech and is here to talk about it. Hi, Anli. Hi. This is a $2 trillion aid package that Biden says would bring good-paying jobs, grow the economy, and upgrade the country's infrastructure badly in need of repair. What sense do you have of what this would mean for Pennsylvania?
2: Well, what is a key word? This is a proposal at this point. It does need to get through Congress before taking any effect, And, and we can talk later about where the GOP stands on this. Um, But as proposed, there are a lot of elements to this package, so I'll just highlight some of them. There are traditional things like investments in roads, bridges, and water systems. There is also an outlay for broadband, which would give people access to high-speed internet. There also are items related to vehicle electrification and clean energy infrastructure. So in a state like Pennsylvania, specifically in the Pittsburgh area where we have major research universities, that could be something where we see an impact because a lot of technology has yet to be developed. And this is an area where we just need more innovation to have, for example, the batteries needed to store renewable energy. And when it comes to energy, natural gas is something we'll also be thinking about in our region, it's a, it's a significant part of our economy. So people who work in that industry might worry that a bill like this would kill their industry, but Joe Biden says it actually would create more jobs in clean energy. So that's how he sees that developing in the future. And in the southwestern part of the state where there has been a lot of fossil fuel extraction, there would be programs to plug orphan gas wells and coal mines. So that's another job creator that Biden envisions. And then aside from all of that, there are some things that we don't traditionally think of as infrastructure, and that includes money for in-home care for elderly and disabled people. There's increasing awareness, especially with uh, COVID-19, that this is a a vastly underpaid industry that we really depend on. So this bill would also support those workers. So it really does seek to boost jobs on multiple fronts.
1: Some of Biden's biggest supporters in Congress are from Pennsylvania including Senator Bob Casey and Representative Connor Lamb. Have they given any indication of how they would work to pass something like this?
2: They haven't given really many specifics on what tactics they plan or expect to use and I mean you'll hear them say that it's still early and this isn't an emergency like COVID-19 is and That was the reason they really wanted to get the American rescue plan that that stimulus package out as soon as possible. This time they seem or they've they've signaled that they're inclined to at least try to negotiate with Republicans. And there are areas of agreement when it comes to infrastructure especially when you're talking about traditional infrastructure. This has been an area of bipartisan support for a number of years, at least rhetorically. Um, Some of the stuff that Biden has proposed as far as supporting in-home care workers is more controversial and something that we can expect Republicans to resist and completely oppose. Uh, But right now, Biden has a lot of political capital especially since he oversaw the passage of the American Rescue Plan. So that gave him momentum. We, we see from the polling data that that package was very popular. So that could carry him through a reconciliation process, possibly. And Democrats have said they're willing to resort to that, if need be, on this infrastructure package. And that really might be necessary because there is a whole other component that Biden is expected to roll out in the coming weeks that would target um, trillions more dollars at health care and child care as well.
1: Despite the fact that infrastructure is traditionally a bipartisan issue, so far there hasn't been any Republican support. Uh, for this proposal, the what he's calling the American Jobs Plan. What are Western Pennsylvania Republicans saying in response to his proposal?
2: Well, like the rest of the GOP, they're saying that this package is just too big. It's, it wants to spend too much money. And they disagree with the way that Biden would fund that spending, and that would be to increase corporate tax rates. They say that will actually hurt investment and it would undo the benefits that they see from the tax cuts that they enacted under President Trump, former President Trump. Um, So those are their main criticisms initially. I think also when you're thinking about fossil fuel workers, there's a lot of skepticism about what this will mean for their jobs. So that's another front on which Democrats could face some resistance there also are some just practical tensions as far as switching to renewable energy. I did a story this week where I talked with some manufacturers in the area and um, some of the people I talked with say that they depend on fossil fuels like natural gas because it's such an energy intensive industry. So. They are not sure that they have the capacity or the American economy has the capacity to move quickly to renewable energy sources. So that's something that they are just apprehensive about. And Joe Biden has been consulting with these groups. It's a delicate dance, and he seems to be highly aware of that fact and how he's approaching
0: these issues.
1: Anli, thanks for your reporting. Thank you. We'll be back after a quick break.
0: Chances are the last year has left you with a lot of questions. If you're curious about how the coronavirus has affected our region, are wondering when it will all be over, or want to know more about the vaccines, join us. I'm Sarah Bowden, health and science reporter at 90.5 WESA, and I've invited a panel of experts to help answer some of your questions and give a glimpse of what to expect in the coming months. Our virtual event, COVID-19 Vaccines, Variants, and the Future, is on April 7th at 7 p.m. Find more information about our panelists and submit your question at wesa.fm slash covidpanel.
1: And we're back. So far, the COVID-19 vaccine has only been available to Pennsylvanians in Phase 1a, the state's first priority group. But on Wednesday, Acting Health Secretary Allison Beam announced that all Pennsylvanians would become eligible for the vaccine by April 19th. WESA's Sarah Bowden is here to walk through the latest update. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Liz. So who becomes eligible for the vaccine and when?
0: So as you just mentioned, right, uh, up until Wednesday was just healthcare workers and people over 65 and everyone else in the 1A category, along with educators. Now, law enforcement professionals, firefighters, grocery store, and agricultural workers can get vaccinated. And that that group, by the way, is a good swath of the 1B phase. And then on Monday, everyone else in 1B becomes eligible. So people like clergy, transit, and postal workers can then get their vaccination. And then on April 12th, phase 1C starts, and this group includes journalists, uh, bank tellers, and restaurant workers. Now, just because you're eligible, that doesn't mean that you will be able to find appointments, but I am hopeful because I've seen a lot of availability really open up in the last couple weeks. And then on April 19th, it's open season on the COVID vaccine in Pennsylvania.
1: Does this mean that everyone in the state's 1A category has been vaccinated?
0: No, there are still many individuals in 1A who want to be vaccinated, but are having a hard time getting an appointment. But the logistics of helping the remaining 1A folks get vaccinated can be pretty complex as this group generally lacks access to transportation and technology and perhaps have uh, some pretty big barriers when it comes to mobility and language.
1: What's being done to help these folks?
0: My sense is, is that it's pretty piecemeal with a lot of nonprofits and religious organizations really stepping up. Regarding seniors who need help, uh, the state says those folks should contact their area agencies on aging. I know that senior high rises, for example, are a really big concern as many residents in those buildings are homebound. So even crossing the street can be difficult. Therefore, in many cases, for people who still need the vaccine, uh, they need it physically brought to their residents if they're going to get the shot.
1: One question I have. So officially, law enforcement and firefighters only became eligible for vaccination on Wednesday. but I've heard many of these people have already gotten their shots. How did this happen?
0: Some of these individuals and agencies have argued that they do fall into 1A because they respond to medical emergencies like drug overdoses. Unions have probably really advocated to get their members vaccinated. Um, I know of at least one instance where that's the case. And I'm guessing that when there are excess vaccine doses, providers have reached out to first responders first. And from where I sit, what's kind of confusing is that the state could have said weeks ago, hey, we know police officers and firefighters are already getting vaccinated, and we know that 1A demand is dwindling, so let's start shipping away at 1B and start with first responders since so many of these folks have already gotten their jabs, yet it took the state until Wednesday to make that call. I really wish the Pennsylvania Department of Health were more transparent with how it was analyzing its data and maybe would disclose more to the public who is advising it on various policy decisions. Like, maybe DHS could come out with a whiteboard sometime and explain some of the minutia it's grappling with. That might go a really long way to help ease the public's anxiety and frustrations. Because there is anger with Governor Wolf from the public, including people who have voted for him, uh, as there is a sense that his administration has really screwed up the vaccine rollout, uh, saying it's been disorganized and poor communication really abounds. On my end, I have way too many unanswered questions to agree or disagree with this fully, which is a problem in of itself because it feels like, you know, when I cover this administration, which I've been doing for years— It really sometimes feels like I'm reading tarot cards to try and figure out what they're thinking and what their priorities are. To get back to
1: normal, like really normal, we need to reach herd immunity. Um, Is that likely to happen and when?
0: The short answer is not until kids can get vaccinated. And that's because survey data from various sources that I've seen show that maybe around 20% of adults still are very hesitant or even totally against getting vaccinated. So we need kids getting vaccinated to really get back to normal, to hit that like 75% threshold of the population being inoculated against COVID-19. And of course, the more the virus spreads, the more opportunity there is for it to mutate. So it's, it's an urgent priority to get kids vaccinated. And I'm thinking like maybe this is going to happen in the fall, perhaps even late summer for teens. And Pfizer recently said this week, in fact, that its vaccine appears to be extremely effective in adolescents. So, you know, I'm hopeful.
1: Thank you so much for this, Bowden.
0: Always great to talk to you, Liz.
1: We'll be back after a quick break.
3: On Tuesday, April 13th at 7 p.m., in partnership with the Pittsburgh Black Media Federation, WESA will host a debate among Pittsburgh's Democratic mayoral candidates, State Representative Ed Gainey, retired police officer Tony Moreno, incumbent mayor William Peduto, and South Oakland resident Mike Thompson. Learn more about the candidates on April 13th at 7 p.m. on 90.5 FM.
1: And we're back. Mayor Bill Peduto is facing several challengers in the May primary. One of the big campaign issues is police reform, where Peduto has found himself at odds with both activists and police. WESA's Ariel Worthy looked into whether policing has changed at all during Peduto's time in office, and she joins me now. Hi, Ariel.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Can you just set this up for us? What are both sides, um, the, the police and the activists saying about the Peduto administration's handling of issues around policing.
3: Things really kind of came to a head last summer, you know, after protests of George Floyd's death and people took to the streets on in East Liberty and just kind of all over the city. Um, so that's kind of where this tension really began. So there are some activists and residents are saying that too much money is going to police and there should be more accountability. That part was especially vocal during the summer protest when there were people getting pepper sprayed and and shot with rubber bullets. That was very vocal that there should be more accountability and there should be more discipline when it comes to that. And even as some changes were being made amid the protest, because Peduto did make some changes just about, you know, permit requirements and things like that. Some of the activists said it was too little, too late because damage had already been done. You know, people were already being arrested and everything. So um, they felt like it wasn't very sincere. But on the other hand, police are saying that Peduto doesn't protect them during these protests. They aren't respected. And this is all coming from the union president He's saying, you know, they're not paid enough for the stresses that they're enduring during this time. So that's kind of why they say, you know, he seems to be more in favor of the activists and residents while well, the activists and residents are saying that he seems to be more in favor of the police because there have been times where he's come out publicly saying that they did everything right without knowing the full story
1: this three-way tension came to a head last summer but are the issues that people concerned about unique to protests and crowd control or are there other issues that are more i guess relevant sort of Anytime, whether or not there's people in the streets.
3: Yeah, so definitely, you know, this is not just something that began last summer. This is something that, you know, people of color have said that they are policed differently in this city. Um, you know, they endure more arrest than white people. They are harassed and profiled more. This accountability and this call for police reform is not a new thing for the city of Pittsburgh.
1: So what has actually happened since Peduto took office in twenty fourteen?
3: Well, there have been changes since he's taken office. The number of police officers has definitely increased. When he first took office in 2014, there were 856 officers. And as of 2019, there are 915. The mayor's office also said that the Bureau tripled the number of officers doing community engagement and arrest numbers are indeed down. They've gone from over 15,000 a year in 2014 to just about to about 9,500 in 2019. The flip side of that, though, is that the percentage of black people being arrested has definitely gone up from just over half to over 60%.
1: Remind me, what is the um, black population in Pittsburgh?
3: It's about 23% black. So the percentage of arrests are definitely higher than the actual percentage of people who live here.
1: Okay, yeah, that's quite a stark disparity. W- what kind of response have these changes gotten from people outside of the administration?
3: So the community engagement part is interesting because the administration looks at it as a way of gaining trust in the neighborhoods, um, especially neighborhoods of color. But State Representative Ed Ganey, who is actually challenging Perduto for mayor, has brought up this point that police are arresting Black people at a higher rate because they're spending too much time in Black neighborhoods. So it's not really seen as a building trust type of thing. It's more like you're over-policing. But then you have people like Counselor Ricky Burgess, who is a Peduto supporter and he has worked with him for years, saying that, you know, policing isn't the problem to begin with. It's actually economic inequity and... That's what's causing people in poor communities to commit more crimes, um, which results in this increase in arrest. And he said, you know, particularly black people in poor black communities. So he sees it as police aren't the problem. It's actually their economic situations. But Ed Gainey sees it as police are the problem because they're spending too much time in these neighborhoods. And they're, it's almost like they're looking for reasons to arrest people.
1: It's really interesting that Peduto and people in the administration would point to, hey, we're spending more time in these neighborhoods as community engagement, where someone like Ganey says, no, you're just spending time in these neighborhoods and arresting more people. You also reported that the Citizens Police Review Board actually saw an uptick in complaints following last summer's protests. Um, can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Yeah. So the review board, you know, they're they're independent for one, so they are kind of separate from the city in the sense that the mayor doesn't really have his eyes on them when they're doing investigations. So one thing that the executive director, Beth Pittenger said is that the Bureau is going through a cultural shift. Um, you know, there's been more implicit bias training, de-escalation training, um, and even recently, last year, the city announced a new office to handle cases of issues like homelessness and mental health crises rather than police responding to those kinds of calls. And she's also said that, you know, disciplining officers has been swift, So in 2019, the review board received 254 complaints, whereas last year they received 286. And executive director Beth Pittenger says the protests probably did have something to do with that increase in complaints.
1: Ariel, thanks so much for explaining all this.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: That's Pittsburgh Explainer for this week. Our show is produced by Katie Blackley and edited by Lucy Perkins. You can find all of our news coverage at our website, WESA.FM, and of course on the air at 90.5 FM. I'm your host, Liz Reed. Thanks for listening. Let's talk next week.